This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. And welcome to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. We have a fun show for you guys today as we continue talking as we did last week when we discussed the Ottawa Senators with Shane Ryan about teams that have not necessarily had the best couple past seasons, but that I believe are primed to be much better this season and possibly even, dare I say, playoff contenders. Like I mentioned, we talked last week to Shane Ryan of the Sens Hour about the Ottawa Senators. On today's episode, we'll be joined by Jordy Cunningham from the Kings Den here on the Hockey Podcast Network. He covers the Los Angeles Kings, a team that is known for one of the best prospect pools in the NHL. So we'll talk to Jordy about all of that, as well as some of the players they brought in, Philip Deneau, as well as Victor Arvidsson. We'll discuss all of that coming up in the second segment, at least. But I want to start with a little bit of news from around the league over the weekend. Since the last time I spoke to you on this forum, Zdeno Chara has a place to play, folks. Big Z will play his 24th NHL season this year. 24th. Absolutely insane. To make it a little bit more apropos, he will be playing in his 24th season in the same place that he played his first four seasons in the NHL, where he started at the age of 20, and now he's at the ripe age of 44. He signed a one-year deal with the New York Islanders. He's heading back to Long Island, the team that initially drafted him back in 1996 in the third round of the NHL entry draft, 54th overall. Now listen, Zdeno Chara, when it comes to his career and when it comes to his legacy, it's it's pretty... Pretty set. I don't think there's very much more that he can do to secure his legacy. I don't think that's at stake anymore. I think he's playing simply at the age of 44 because of the love of the game. The guy has done a lot in his NHL career. He's played for a good amount of teams, obviously. He started with the Islanders, played for the Ottawa Senators, and then, of course, he, he kind of built his career starting in 2006-2007 as a member of the Boston Bruins. Became the captain over there in Boston. Won a Stanley Cup back in 2011. Am I getting that correct? Yeah, back in 2011. He was a Norris Trophy winner back in 2008-2009. He was a Marc Messier Award winner in 2010-2011. He's played over 1,500, actually over 1,600 games. And he is known as one of the most marketable figures in the salary cap era. Now, he signed a one-year deal with the New York Islanders. And because it's Lou Lamorello as the general manager of the Islanders, we don't know how much money he's making as of right now. Pretty similar to exactly what we saw just 11 days ago when Zach Parise joined the New York Islanders. Only, at least now we're getting a term on the Chara contract. We didn't even get 
as much as the term on the Zach Parise contract. So again, thanks to Lou Lamorello for all of his cap wizardry and not telling us exactly what's going on there. But Zdeno Chara will play hockey in 2021-22. He will continue his long, illustrious career with one more season, at least, on Long Island. Last year, he played with the Washington Capitals, so the surprise and the shock of not seeing him in the spoke to be is gone at this point. Last year, 55 games played for the Washington Capitals, almost an entire season there in the 56-game shortened season. He scored two goals, collected eight assists, and was a plus five last year for Washington. Not a bad player. Not a bad player at all. I mean, he's still six foot nine. You can't change that. Six nine, two fifty. Those are intangibles that he brings that nobody else in the NHL can bring. And he will bring that to Long Island. And I'm sure Barry Trotz will be very happy to have Zdeno Chara as what I can only assume is a third pairing defenseman. He will go up there and join a team that, listen, this, it fits. Lou Lamorello signing a 44-year-old defenseman, it fits. Because the New York Islanders, if if not for anything, they are a team that likes to have veterans, that have plenty of experience, and that are good at protecting the net front in front of their goaltenders. I'm sure Ilya Sorokin is going to be much happier and Semyon Verlarmov as well is going to be much happier having Zdeno Chara throw people out of the crease this season. But it's not like they were a team that was desperate for big defensemen. They have a first D pairing of Ryan Pulak and Adam Pellick. Those are not two short individuals. Those are two fairly large defensemen. Adam Pellick obviously standing at Six foot three, whereas Pulak, as I'm trying to pull it up here, it's just not loading for me. Yep, is also at six foot two. So those two are pretty big guys. Scott Mayfield is also not a small human being. And now they add a guy like Zdeno Chara. The size of this team just continues to grow. But the other storyline, of course, when you talk about the New York Islanders and when you talk about Zdeno Chara's previous team in the Washington Capitals is age. Last year, Chara lended himself to the Washington Capitals being the oldest team in the NHL at 29 years, or 29.62 average years old. The New York Islanders last season, average age of 29.22 was good for second oldest in the league. So Zdeno Chara at the age of 44 jumping on, Zach Parise at the age of 37 jumping on, the Islanders might be the oldest team going into this NHL season. I would have to double check that. Also doesn't help that they re-signed Kyle Palmieri, who's at the age of 30, and Casey Sezikis, who's at the age of 30, both to multiple-year extensions. But while this team is old, I have been high on this team all offseason long because what they have done is they've decided to basically bring back the same exact team that went to the Stanley Cup semifinals in July. Excuse me, in June. I don't know where my, my brain was at there. But they bring back basically this whole team. They add a guy like Zdeno Chara, who, if you look at the way the Islanders play, should fit in pretty well as a third-pairing defenseman. They bring in a guy like Zach Parise, who, if you look at the way the Islanders play, should fit in on this roster. And it seems like they're ready to run it back. The only thing that might get in their way is, is age, 
and possibly if somebody figures out how to play against this style that they've been running the past three seasons, or at least since Barry Trotz got there, which I believe was three seasons ago. So congratulations to Big Z playing again. We don't have to go an NHL season without Zdeno Chara for the first time in over two decades. We still get to watch Zdeno Chara play hockey, and that is a good thing for hockey fans. The other thing that has happened since our last show that I want to talk about a little bit happened on Monday morning. He's a player that maybe not a lot of young fans or a lot of new fans are particularly fond of or even particularly know, and that's Travis Zajac. I want to congratulate Travis Zajac on retiring from the NHL. He's a guy that, you know, listen, I'm 24 years old. He's been in the league since I was nine. That's around the same time that I actually started being able to pay attention to the league and remembering it. Obviously, I remember bits and pieces from when I was younger, but around the age of 9, 10 is when you truly start to remember it. Or at least I do. And Travis Zajac is, for as long as I can remember, has been a New Jersey Devil. And not a bad New Jersey Devil either. He's a pretty solid NHLer. And he has been for pretty much his entire career. I mean, if you look at it, 42 points in his rookie season 2006-2007. The guy puts up double-digit goals basically every time he touches the ice, as long as he plays a full complement of games for the most part. Maybe not the last couple of seasons. But I mean, hey, the guy's 36 years old. He was productive for a long time in his career. He decided on Monday to sign a one-day contract to retire a New Jersey Devil, which... I think we all expected. I, I think if I asked Neil Villapiano, the host of Devil State of Mind, he, he would have expected that because Zajac played the first 14 and a half seasons of his 15-year career in New Jersey. Now, of course, last year he was traded to the New York Islanders at the trade deadline so he can go for a Stanley Cup. Went the whole way to the Stanley Cup semifinals, but the Islanders, of course, were not able to get past the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's not the closest Travis Zajac has been to a Stanley Cup. That came back in the year of 2012 when he was on that interesting, I'll say to say the least, New Jersey Devils team with Zach Parise, Ilya Kovalchuk, Marty Brodeur and Net, Patrick Eliage as well. So he played on some pretty good teams for New Jersey over the years. He played 14 seasons with the New Jersey Devils, 14 and a half, I guess. But to finish his career, Travis Zajac, his final stat line will go 1,037 games played, 203 goals, 349 assists for a total of 552 points. Half a point a game player for over 15 seasons. When you average it out. Definitely nothing to scoff at. He's a guy that when your team played the New Jersey Devils, you knew Travis Zajac was a part of that other team. You always knew that he was potentially a guy that could change the course of the game. He played the center position extremely well. And I just want to say one last time, congratulations to Travis Zajac on retiring. Retiring on a one-day contract as a New Jersey Devil, obviously the right thing to do. I wouldn't be surprised to see his number 19 in the rafters on the rock at Prudential Center. I know he's not a superstar. I know he wasn't the flashiest player ever. But when you talk about you know, New Jersey Devils and people that embodied 
that jersey and that logo. Obviously, your, your mind goes to Marty Brodeur, Ken Danico, Patrick Eliash, I mean, even Scotty Gomez. Travis Ajak, I, I think, has, has a stake there. I wouldn't be surprised to see him his name in the rafters. I don't think he's necessarily a Hockey Hall of Famer, because he's, he's probably not. But I do think the people of New Jersey really appreciate him, and I, I do think he appreciated his 14 years in New Jersey, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see the number 19 heading up into the rafters sooner rather than later. We're going to take a quick break here. When we return, like I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to be joined by Jordy Cunningham of the Kings Den to talk all about the Los Angeles Kings and what we can expect from the Kings going into the 2021-22 season. We'll be right back. Week two of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week three game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any Week 3 football game. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. continuing to talk about teams that I see on the verge of a breakout season. We talked to Shane Ryan of the Sens Hour last week. We're talking to Jordy Cunningham of the Kings Den podcast here, covering the hockey pod for the hockey podcast number. He covers the Los Angeles Kings. Jordy, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? And I, I'll say right off the bat, Ottawa is not breaking out this season. No. No, I don't think so. They haven't signed. Don't they? They still have to sign Brady, don't they? Like this, uh, like, and that's the whole. Uh, he's not happy apparently. So, like, I, I don't know about Ottawa. Yeah, it it would be a long shot, but I just I like what they did at the end of last season, and I think that might carry over into this season. So I wanted to talk to Shane and get his vibe on it. Yeah, like you're a Pittsburgh guy, but like Matt Murray kind of sucked last year. Oh no, Matt Murray did suck, and Matt Murray sucked <laughs> yeah, the last couple of years. Yeah. He was in Pittsburgh too. So I, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not I'm not biased in that matter. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the yeah, it, it, exactly. So, so you think the Kings are better off than the Senators? I guess we'll start there. Absolutely, they are. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. The the Kings have done the rebuild right. I'll mm. tell you that right 
now. Like you and I have talked about it a bunch, and now we can just talk about kind of the evolution of it a little bit. The Kings have straight up not been good the last couple of years. But last year, the 56-game season, shorter season, it was kind of a season where anything could happen. And you kind of saw the glimmer a little bit of what this team is going to be. And that was without like any of the real top, top prospects mm. coming yet. And you saw some guys like get to make their NHL debut, some guys play a handful of games in that prospect pool, and you're seeing this like incredible prospect pool. You're going to start to see them come to life, and that is that's so exciting if you're a Kings fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned the prospect pool. It is kind of consensus, one of the top prospect pools in the entire NHL right now. So, I mean, which of these prospects, when you look at, obviously, it, it is a big list. I'm not going to lie. It is a much bigger list than most teams have when it comes to top prospects. But who do you think will make the biggest impact once they arrive at the NHL level? Well, to me, you have to start with Quinton Byfield. Like, he mm-hmm. played in, I think, six games last season. I think mm-hmm. he got one assist, but he's second overall pick, big centerman. Like, to me, he should be the third-line center this season. Like, he's that good that he could just drop in to be, like, be the third-line center this season. And mm-hmm. I think it could be, like, a bit of a a bit of a learning curve for sure. But he's too too talented, too skilled to not be. And you see when he got drafted, like, you know how there's always, like, the player comparison when someone gets drafted? His player mm-hmm. comparison was Ante Kopitar. That's now his <laughs> teammate. So what better person to learn from as well as a rookie than that? So you think he's going to make the roster out of camp this year? I think so, for sure. I really mm-hmm. think so. Because just when you look at the roster, like you have a, bu- like a bunch of like the kind of guys that have been, the young guys that have been on the team for a couple seasons now. Like mm-hmm. Velarde can play center. He'll probably be like the fourth line center. But like you have a guys like Anderson Dolan who can play center, Elias Anderson, but they can also play the wing. So I think like you have the flexibility to play around with it as well. But I think Byfield makes the team out of camp for sure. That would be something exciting because, again, only six games last year. We did get to see a lot of first overall pick Alexi Lafreniere in New York. We saw a lot of Tim Stutzla, who was, I believe, the third round pick. He went to Ottawa. So the next logical step for a lot of people that were looking at that draft in 2020 said that Quinton Byfield in time will be the best out of those three guys. We only got to see him for a couple games. He is on the younger side. So this year is probably his chance to show what he can do as a rookie in the league. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. This is definitely like Byfield's year to shine. And like I think it could be a very interesting rookie race this season because you have mm-hmm. Byfield in it. I look at a guy like, uh, you know, I'm up in Vancouver. Even though I cover the Kings, I'm up, up in Vancouver. I look like a guy that, like, Colson that is really going to challenge for rookie of the year. I think the rookie of the year could be a very, very interesting this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it is interesting because four of the top five picks in this year's draft are all going to play at Michigan. So they're all automatically out. So it's all going to be guys that are coming up. Yeah. So it, it's all going to be guys that are coming up from the minors, getting their start guys that played a year or two, maybe in junior before they came up. So it's guys that have been in their systems for a little while, as opposed to a guy that just gets drafted and plays automatically. Yeah, exactly. And you see, like, and it wasn't just Byfield that, like, got his cup of coffee. Like, there were a couple guys that played one game, and they came up and scored in it. Like, uh, Arthur Kaliev. People will remember him from the World Juniors, last World Juniors. That was, like, or two World Juniors ago now? Whatever it was. Like no, he was it was dominant. the last one. Yeah, the last one. Like, he was dominant in the tournament. Same with uh, 
uh, Turcotte never even got called up yet. He's another guy that like Kings fans have to look forward to. Guys and guys like Rasmus Kupari, uh, Samuel Fajmo. These guys are just gonna come in and make an impact. These young guys, and it's really exciting for a Kings fan to have this kind of prospect pool. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned Kaliev and Turcotte, and those are two guys that, yeah, because of the World Juniors and because I do root for the United States, I saw a lot of them during that two weeks. And they were actually on a line together for the most part, which is probably even more exciting if you're from L.A. and watching that. But they played so well in that tournament together. When do you think they're going to make the jump to the NHL? Kaliev, of course, had his cup of tea last year, and Turcotte looking to probably do the same this year. Do you think they both make it this season? And I would argue the only reason Turcotte didn't do it is he got he he got hurt last year. I think it was during the World Championships or sometime during the season. That's the only reason why I think he didn't get get his chance last year. So yeah, mm-hmm. I could definitely see them making like getting the call up. And because I can also see a scenario where they kind of where the Kings like they believe in all the young guys, but I can see a scenario where they kind of get impatient with some of the young guys as well that have been there for a little bit, like. Mm-hmm. Like, Leah Anderson is going to be in his second year in L.A., but he's been in the league for, what, four years now? Because he was seventh yeah. overall for the Rangers a few years ago. A guy who's a who's a Kings guy through and through, Jared Anderson Dolan. Like, he is a guy that, like, they they really like him. But, like, can he take that step forward? Like, that's yet to be seen. He's a guy that only has one more year left on his deal before he's an RFA sort of thing. So, guys like that, like, I can see the Kings, like, maybe get a touch impatient with them and want to see the young guys come up. It all depends on they perform in Ontario this year as well with the Ontario Reign. I mean, and it does help, though, having such a deep prospect pool because you can call on some of those guys and try to push the envelope with some of those guys. Even if you're impatient with some, you still have so many that if you are patient with the rest of them, you don't risk messing up your entire prospect pool just for being impatient on a couple of, couple of studs. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I totally agree. And also, like, with the depth of the prospect pool and how like good these players are, I think it's time to kind of give up, for lack of a better term, on what I call the stopgap players. Like, we don't need Marty Furk in the lineup. Like, they re-signed uh, Athanasiu, which I get. Like, he was a good stopgap player last year. But I really don't know if, he, if he's going to end the year with the team. Like, if mm-hmm. these young kids, like, kind of push for spots, you know? So I think that's something that's very interesting. And I think that's something you can kind of push a little harder more with how deep the prospect pool is. Mm-hmm. Like not every team has that luxury to do that. And I think the Kings fit. Yeah. And, and also with all of that, and you have all these young players that are getting ready to come up, getting ready to get their first kind of taste of the NHL. You have a goaltender on the other hand that has played in parts of three seasons in the NHL. And now it seems like he's set to have his first full season as the Kings number one goaltender. And that's Cal Peterson. Now he has been pretty impressive up to this point. If you look at his numbers, they look really good, especially on a Kings team that hasn't been that successful in total. But at the same time, he's played no more than 35 games a season. So what do you expect from him in his first full year as the Kings number one? Yeah, it's going to be interesting, but what we've seen so far, he definitely is kind of the, goaltender of the future and there has been mm-hmm. a, like i've talked so much about the goaltending about like i believe in cal peterson i thought jonathan quick might have got picked by seattle i cannot believe seattle took, took curtis mcdermott like thank god he's off this <laughs> team but 
at the same time, like I like I really like that they took Brent Clark. He's he's going to be a really good defenseman for this team. But I thought that they might have gone. There was that goaltender that was like supposed to go top ten and he didn't go to like twentieth. I forget his name. Mm-hmm. Like that was something that I thought like the Kings might look at if they want to t- finally move off quick and kind of have to build up like in case Cal Peterson doesn't work out over this next couple of years. But the way he's played, like there's no reason why he won't work out. I think he's going to have a great year and I think he's going to open up a lot of eyes around the league this season. I think when you look at the moves that general manager Rob Blake has made in the past, and one of the big ones is trading Jack Campbell to Toronto because Jack Campbell was also finding success in LA. But that really, when he did that, it wasn't because, oh, we think Jonathan Quick is back. It was because, hey, we really like this Cal Peterson guy. Yeah, exactly. That's what it was. And it was, Jack Campbell was a bit of a late bloomer, you know, and it was kind of fit, fits the mold for Toronto. Like Toronto and LA make trades, seems once, like yearly, like yeah. once a year. And that one was just like, trading Jack Campbell was a need that that Toronto needed, right? So. Mm. It worked out in the end, and of course, they believed in Cal Peterson. I'm like, Cal Peterson, after this season, he went and dominated, like, the world championships as well. So there's no, like, all the kings on that USA, on the USA team, except for Anderson Dolan, I believe, like, really kind of dominant. No, Anderson Dolan's Canadian, I think. There was another one, though, that, like, there, there were, like, I think four Canadians on the USA team, and they all dominated, or three out of four of them dominated or something. So there's no reason why they're, they're not going to be successful this season, mm-hmm. especially Peterson. Well, we are talking to Jordy Cunningham of the Kings Den about the chances of the Los Angeles Kings, a very young team. And we've talked a lot about prospects to this point, but we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll talk about some of the elders of the group, some of the older LA Kings. There's not many of them left, but we will have that discussion right after the break. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. back to the Hockey Hotbed presented by the Hockey Podcast Network as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THBN when you visit the DraftKings Sportsbook app for great odds and opportunities. One last time, that is code THBN at DraftKings Sportsbook. And if there is no DraftKings Sportsbook and no sports betting in your state and or province, you can use code THBN for great opportunities at DraftKings Daily Fantasy. Again, promo code THPN. We're here with Jordy. Jordy Cunningham, that is, of the Kings Den, who covers the Los Angeles Kings for the Hockey Podcast Network, talking about a team that, in my opinion, is primed to have a really good season and to, to get out of the basement, if you will, because they've been there for a couple of years. They've been rebuilding. We talked about the prospects in the first segment. Now in this segment, I want to talk a little bit about the guys that have been there. Specifically, I want to start with Anze Kopitar and Drew Doughty because they've been through it all with this franchise. I mean, from cup winners to the depths of the rebuild and now the tail end of the rebuild and kind of climbing their way back 
into what they're hoping is contention this year for a playoff spot. How important is the presence of those two guys for this young team? It, it's super important. These guys are they're so important to this team. Like of Kolptar, he's he's been the guy forever, you know. And we mentioned him in the first half about the comparison that Byfield has to him. And you see, like Kolptar keeps getting older, but the play isn't diminished, despite how bad the team has been the last couple of years as well. Like last year, he played in all 56 games. He was just under a point a game player, 50 points in 56 games. He hasn't quite scored as much. He's more on the assist part of things now. But mm-hmm. what he what he brings to this team, the leadership, the competitiveness, the willing to show the young guys what needs to be done day in and day out. He's just so important to this team. And like the year before, 62 points in 70 games. Like he's such so important up the middle. Finished the season with his 1,000th career point. Like, he's mm-hmm. so important to this team. And LA King for life. And what's kind of crazy is you're the number one center on a not good team the last couple seasons. And he stayed remarkably, like, close to an even rating on the <laughs> ice. And this yeah. is a guy, like, he's just the heart and soul of this team. There's no really other way to put it. Just the leadership. And the leadership he brings to the young guys just it's going to really help the young core of this group. Mm -hmm. Now, Drew Doughty, on the other hand, is he's not putting up quite the numbers that Anze Kopitar is, but I feel like there's been a lot of disrespect for Drew Doughty just because he hasn't been at the levels that he once was. But he has still been able to put up some pretty decent numbers, offensively at least. I I haven't really watched a lot of LA Kings hockey, to be completely honest, but it seems like a lot of people are down on Drew Doughty. Do you think that is justified, or do you think that is just completely overblown? So, if you ask me that two, three years ago, I would say it's just, I would say it's fair. Mm-hmm. Now I disagree. Like people just want to hate Drew Doughty just to hate Drew Doughty, just because of the personality he is. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just not right now. Because yeah, there was a couple of years where he wasn't very good. Like he kind of he struggled. Like the one year what was it two seasons ago the 2018-2019 season you're you're a top defenseman and you're minus 34 like that's not good yeah and, but that season he's still on 45 points like two seasons in the covid shorted season short season he had 35 points in 67 games so it kind of like wasn't as good but like he's a he was better than people were saying and then mm-hmm. last season in the short 56 game season i think he really like kind of proved the doubters wrong like he had 34 points for a defenseman in 56 games. He was up there in points for a defenseman. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was up there for points in defenseman. I believe eight goals was up there for his division as well. Like, And like Kolptar, like they were in a division last year with Vegas and Colorado. And Kolptar was like right near the top scorers for the Forest, and Doughty was right near the top scorers for the defenseman. Like the kind of hatred on Drew Doughty, I just you can't really justify that anymore because he had a he was if there he could, could have been in the argument for like a comeback player of the year last year because he mm-hmm. played that well in my opinion he played really really well and I think because it's LA right now and like they're they're having been very good no one has really noticed how good he was last season. Yeah, I noticed at some point last season I I remember I looked at the numbers and I saw Drew Doughty's numbers and I was. I was kind of surprised. I was like, is Drew Doughty good again? Like, I, I didn't, 
And then I watched and I was like, the defensive play might not be what it was, but he's still producing offensively. And I was like, this, this Kings team has not produced much offensively all year. So to see him continuing to be able to put the puck in the back of the net, to start plays the way he was able to, that was surprising. And, and in these years where they haven't been good, they, their points from the defense have been horrendous. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that was because like every year, Doughty is number one or number two in ice time. Mm-hmm. He, he plays like 28 minutes, 29 minutes a night. It's like what he averages. That yeah. is crazy. No wonder he's dead out there. Look at the, look at what he's playing. So like when I think in part of it as well as last season, he got to trust his defenseman more. I think he really like developed a better relationship with the young guys. He's always liked mm-hmm. the young guys that they brought in. Tobias Foot, Mikey Anderson. He really likes those guys. Matt Roy, of course, is a stud. And I think that he kind of learned to trust these new defensemen a little bit more that were so young. And, of course, he's a great leader for them as well. But mm-hmm. I think he learned to trust them a little bit better last year, and that really helped his play. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about the players that have been there before. We've talked a lot about the young players that are in the system that are getting ready to possibly make an impact on the team. I also want to look at the offseason the Kings had because they added, surprisingly... Two pretty solid forwards to their group in Philip Deneau and Victor Arvidsson. Is this Rob Blake making the statement that this team is done rebuilding and ready to shoot for a playoff spot? Absolutely, for sure. Like this was kind of offseason to make the move. And there were rumors of like trying to trade for Eichel. And like it, it made sense to some people. To me, I was kind of like, just wait on the prospects. Like I know Jack Eichel is a generational talent, but Let's wait, for, let's wait on the prospects instead of trading four of them away for a player with a neck problem. I know he's mm-hmm. one of the best, but still, he's a player with a neck problem. Neck problems aren't great. So mm-hmm. let's not do that. And like to bring in like Philip Deneau had a great year with Montreal last year. He's a great two-way center. Like Him and Kopitar are, I'm, I'm not going to say the same player because Kopitar's had a very illustrious career. But the gameplay, like the two, like they're both two-way forwards, two-way centermen. That you have to have that. Deneau just had a great year in Montreal last year. And when, when you look at the stats, like, well, first of all, Arvidsson, it's a great trade. Guys kind of not put, didn't quite have the numbers last couple seasons in Nashville. He gave up what was it, a second and a third round pick for yeah. him. It's, it was a pennies on the dollar trade. Mm-hmm. And Rob Blake is great at those. And to see like. Victor Robertson scored 30 in a season before. And, and what I think is so important is I looked at their stats, Ar- Arvidsson and Deneau. To have two guys that are relatively the same age, that have put up relatively the same numbers, come to the same, come to the same team, I think that's huge. There are two guys that are like late late 20s now mm-hmm. that's kind of like just kind of hitting their prime. That's kind of what, what you want. And they're just going to, they're such huge additions to the team. And it feels like, for the first time in a long time, it feels like a proper top six. Mm-hmm. Now, it really does because you're going to have Kopitar probably centering Iafalo and Brown, maybe, and then you're going to have to know centering Arvidsson, and then probably Adrian Kempe or Trevor Moore. So, I really think like it's a it's a legit top six now, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it also, when you look at these guys, they're both players that I know. I don't like to talk too much about intangibles and eye, eye tests and stuff like that. But when you have a team so young, 
like the Kings do. I get that you have Stanley Cup presence when it comes to, you know, Browns and the Kopitars and, and the Dowdies and the Jonathan Quicks even in the goaltending arena. You have Stanley Cup experience there. But the players you're bringing in, this kind of second tier, not the older guys, not the younger guys, but right in the middle, and Deneau and Arvidsson, they've both had some pretty pretty stout playoff experience on their own right. Philip Deneau, of course, going to the finals last season with the Montreal Canadiens, and Victor Arvidsson a couple of years ago with the Nashville Predators. So you have guys that have been there before. You have guys that are in their prime right now, and especially looking at the fact that you're going to have Kopitar, Deneau, and possibly Byfield as your 1-2-3 down the middle, that's something that, when I look at that, that just reeks of a playoff team. And that's something I haven't been able to say about the Kings the last couple of seasons. Absolutely. And you talk about the playoff experience as well. Like Deneau has 38 career playoff games. I know the majority of them were this last year. But then you look at Victor Ar- Arvidsson, and you don't realize how long he's been with Nashville and mm-hmm. how much he helped like when Nashville was really good. The last few years, he's played in 61 playoff games. Victor <laughs> Arvidsson. Like, if I don't look it up, that's probably, I mean, I would guess sixth on the team, mm-hmm. up behind Culp, behind all the Kings that have been there: Kopitar, Doughty, Quick, Brown. Mm-hmm. I'm missing one, and yeah, like Alex Edler has played in like a million playoff games with the Canucks. <laughs> yeah. So I would say like. He's probably like, he. I'd have to look that up, but I'd, he's he's going to be high up there in playoff games play. Like he brings experience in that regard as well for still kind of being relatively a young guy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like his favor ran out in Nashville. I, I think they were kind of done using him in the way they needed to use him. Also, he had some injuries in the past couple of years that sidelined him, made it a little bit more difficult for him to find his footing. So a fresh start. I mean, when you talk about guys that need a fresh start, Arvidsson was at the top of the list going into the offseason. And because of the Seattle Kraken expansion, Rob Blake, like you said, pennies on the dollar. A great move there, and there were a couple around the league, but this was one of the ones that kind of was where the shots heard around the world, especially leading up to the expansion draft. Yeah, and it was so early in the offseason as well. It was like mm-hmm. a couple weeks before the expansion draft. So, like, it was a guy that the Kings obviously had targeted. And the pennies on the dollar, like I said, like the last two seasons, Arvidsson kind of struggled a little bit, like, 28 points in 57 games, and then 25 points in 50 games. Like, not the numbers he's kind of used to putting up, and I think the injuries kind of affected that as well. So I think he's he's a huge bounce-back candidate mm-hmm. this season. I think a fresh start's really going to help him. Yeah, and I think also bringing in these two guys, you know, Deneau, obviously, not as much on the scoring side, but Victor Arvidsson, he's going to help get that goal total up. And in a Pacific division where there's not going to be a lot of goals scored, that's what can help push them towards a playoff position. In a weak Pacific division. Yeah, it, Very <laughs> weak. It is, a, it is a weak division. So I would imagine from, from what you're saying there, are the LA Kings a team that could potentially be in the playoffs at well, the end of this year? Let's see. You look at the Pacific division. Mm-hmm. Anaheim, not good. No. San Jose, not good. No. Can McDavid carry a team by himself to the playoffs? Uh, I don't yeah. know about that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that, that's, I'm going to stop for a second. Edmonton's offseason was so confusing. Like, what was that offseason they just put together? Uh, like, Calgary, I really don't think is very good either. I think they could be loading up for Eiffel last minute, but like, 
they like you and I have both watched Eric Pranson play for our teams. <laughs> like, yeah, Canucks personally here. That guy stinks, and they just signed him. I'm like Blake Coleman's nice, but like you like they need bounce backs from a lot of players. Mm-hmm. I like this is a little bit biased, but I think like people around the league kind of notice notice this as well. Like the Canucks had a good off season, mm-hmm. and like it's it was it was rest that they but overall they had a good off season. I think most people agree with that. And Vegas is Vegas, so like the Kings could be a playoff team because this division is. So weak. I, like this season is going to be so interesting to me. Okay. Well, coming from the perspective of a Pacific Division guy, in, in your opinion, do you think Seattle is a team that you're going to have to worry about fighting with that spot? Uh, Seattle was so frustrating. And I guess <laughs> it's because you kind of expected like a Vegas like off mm-hmm. season or like first off season, and it just never really happened. Like there were mm-hmm. so many good players available, and they just didn't do it. And, like, they give Grubauer a bunch of money who's good. And, like, they went heavy defensive. But, like, I really don't know how good Seattle's going to be. I really don't. Like, I didn't love what they did building their team. I really See, didn't. When I look at this division, I do think that Calgary is not going to be good enough. I don't think Calgary is going to be good enough. Vancouver... It- they're, they're magic beans. I have literally no idea what to expect from Vancouver. I thought they were going to be great last season, but yeah, but, but we saw what happened there. So when I look at Seattle and I look at Los Angeles, those are two teams that, I mean, Los Angeles historically has been defense-based, scored, plan, scored just enough goals. Seattle built their team that it looks like it's defense-based. We're going to try to score just enough goals. <laughs> yeah, it's so, true. Like, <laughs> like they... Like, we have a young defenseman here who I really like and Kale play. Like, mm-hmm. the Kings left him available, and Seattle took Curtis fucking McDermott. When <laughs> that guy is just so bad. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe Colorado traded for him. That was even more shocking to me. I just couldn't believe that. Yeah, yeah Seattle was definitely a lot of head scratchers throughout the summer because of them and from them. But when it comes to the LA Kings, man, I, I liked their offseason. I'm not going to say they were my favorite offseason. Anybody that's listened to this show or listened to the tip of the iceberg or just follows me on Twitter knows that I think that the New Jersey Devils had the best offseason personally. But yeah, they had a good one. The, uh, kind of just small moves by the Kings that they're the right moves. You bring in a guy like Philip Deneau, you, you pay the money to get a top two line center, and then you bring in a guy like Victor Arvidsson for pennies on the dollar. With, with the guys that you have coming up as prospects, that's all you needed to do. Uh, absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, with the prospects, absolutely. And I like minimalistic's not the right word, but mm-hmm. the Kings made the moves that they just needed to make. Mm-hmm. They made two signings Deneau and Edler. By the way, it's going to be really weird to see Edler in different colors. They make two <laughs> signings and Deneau and Edler. They make the trade for Victor Arvidsson, pennies on the dollar, second and third round pick. And then. Going into the draft, I think it was eight or nine picks they had. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we don't want to stockpile players because we have that. They said, we want quality over quantity. So all they did was keep trading up during the draft to get, to get the players that they wanted. So I, ha- I think they had eight picks and they only made four selections. because They just kept trading up because they wanted the players they wanted. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was kind of a, it was a quality over quantity draft wise and then the offseason it was just like the moves that we need to make because we trust the young guys and it was honestly like a perfect offseason for them 
Yeah, it seemed like a lot of precision moves, a lot of things that were very calculated on Rob Blake's. Yeah. Way more for Rob Blake is such a good GM. Like he knows how to rebuild a team. And just the minor moves he makes here and there, it really helps out. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Jordy, so much for joining us. I think we're gonna we're gonna call it just before a half hour. Let our listeners know where they can find you when they and what they can expect here coming up with the season just around the corner on the King's Den. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Uh, check check out the King's Den on Twitter at the King's Den T H P N. All we're gonna be doing is talking about the Kings all season long. I love to. Have game recaps as the season goes on it's gonna be an exciting year man like seeing seeing this team grow it's gonna be this is a big step up here for the kings and especially in a weak division they could really have a step up and we're gonna talk about every single bit of it on the kings then and also follow me on twitter my personal is at cunningham jordy so check me out there well jordy one last time thank you so much for joining the show it's always fun getting you on the last time i talked to you on a format like this was the trade deadline and we broke a trade just gonna say that the jeff carter trade no such luck today but we did have a good time but thank you so much for coming on it's not great that he's currently your second line center to start the season it it, it, i mean he's the first line center oh it's all brother (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah definitely uh definitely heads are rolling in pittsburgh but yeah that is gonna do it for this episode of the hockey hotbed thank you guys for tuning in We'll see you guys on Friday.